Hello and welcome to the second episode of the Clax Women for Indie podcast. Since our last podcast, we have been in Aberdeen at the March and that was a great day. Lots of Women for Indie there. My abiding memory of that day is getting to the end at Castle Street, turning round and then seeing the ironically called Union Street full of blue saltires as far as the eye could see. I was trying to record clips using just my phone come out quite well you get a flavour of what it was like so I'm going to use those for this podcast to separate the discussions instead of elevator music as we used last time I hope you like those thank you for all the feedback we've had from episode one let us know if there's anything in particular you'd like us to cover or anything you'd like to hear more about the easiest way to contact us is actually via our twitter account at claxwfi this episode, we are going to tackle the B word. Brexit is looming. We're going to hear from Mireille, one of our Women for Indie Clacks members, who is French national and who's lived in this country for 40 odd years, but who has found herself caught up in the need to apply for settled status with all the challenge and stress that that involves. So Marie's going to share with us a little bit of, of what it's been like for her. We're also going to be discussing whether you're a, a stockpiler or a wait and seer. Going to hear about the Woman in Parliament project and what's coming up that you can get involved with. So hope you enjoy it. Say hello for the podcast. Hello. Podcast. Fiona's <laughs> podcast. Tax Wifey's podcast. You should all be here in Aberdeen. Now, if you were an EU national who had lived in Scotland since the mid-70s and had been granted indefinite leave to remain in 1981, you would think that you were safe and settled in your new home. But as many EU nationals are finding out, Brexit has changed everything. Uh, let's hear now from one of our Clax Women for Indie members directly affected by these issues. Hi, I am Mireille. I got an indefinite leave to remain from the Home Office, which meant that as an EU citizen, I didn't have to go to the police station and register my residency every year. That was the end of it. Unfortunately, that resident permit was invalidated when I went away for five years when my mum got ill and died and I had to help my dad in France. So I stayed there for five years. But I've been here since 2011, continuously, and I have proof of it. Last week, Pretty Patel decided that freedom of movement would stop the day after the 31st of October. A few days before that, there was a guidance note sent to all the NHS hospitals saying that EU citizens would have to show a proof of residency before they can get NHS care. I got a little bit worried about that because I'm my age, I don't want to have to face that kind of aggro about my residency. Although I wasn't going to apply to settle status until the final date, which was the 31st of December 2020, I decided I would actually apply, especially since my husband got a new Samsung phone which had the pin inside so I could scan my passport and I thought mm, I'll try that anyway and see how it goes. So I did. Anyway, it's a long story. It took me altogether about two and a half hours in order to do the whole thing and then I was told that I had a pre-settled status because I needed proof that I was here in 2014 and 2015 for six months each year. They didn't have proof of that. Even though I've been here, I've been receiving my state pension, I've also been working, I pay my taxes, 
Nevertheless, they wanted proof of that. So after another couple of hours when I had to find my papers and scan everything, then I finished the application form. So it took me altogether about four and a half hours. And then I had to wait. And finally, on Wednesday, I got my letter by email saying that I had a settled status. Am I pleased? No, I'm raging because I now can, if I want, continue to exercise my right as an EEA citizen as long as EU law remains valid in this country and I may continue to receive the kind of rights like healthcare or I may be able to uh, get employment, etc. I don't need permission to exist and this is why I'm raging. I've been existing in this country and living and paying my taxes for 40 years. I'm actually getting my state pension, my occupational pension. I have been here. I have been paying into the NHS, into social security. I have volunteered. I have worked with communities. I have done my bit for this country. And now I'm having to say thank you very much for allowing me to live in this country. How do you think that feels? I'm raging. The thing is, in Scotland, I get a lot of support. That is not the problem. The problem is, I think, is that it's normal, it's natural, it's human. But I think people see, well, it's not really my problem. I do feel sorry. But actually, British people, Scottish people, are also, at the moment, EU citizens. It should be your concerns as well as my concerns. I know it doesn't affect people directly, but it affects you because actually 25% of staff in the NHS are com coming from other European countries. And we are still in Europe. We are still part of the EU. And I think that a lot, particularly in England, I think people say, oh, it's not my problem in any way. They are taking our jobs. Well, we're not taking your jobs. People have said that to me. People also have said to me, why didn't you become a British citizen? I said, why should I? Why should I change my nationality or add on a nationality in any way? I am French. I am a Republican. You know, Republicanism is ingrained in our DNA in France. We, we beheaded our king and we had not a perfect system, but we have the system we've got. And actually, since this business, I've become more Republican than ever. I never thought I would say that, but there you are. I'm not going to swear to the Queen, ever. Why should I, anyway? But for 40 years, I lived here and I contributed to, to society without having to ask permission, without having to change my nationality. And anyway, there was a time when you could not get dual nationality with France. Also, I have to tell the Home Office, if my passport number changes, if I change my name, if I, might, I change my telephone number because I use my mobile for sending me security texts, if I want to check my status, uh, it's one of the ways they check that I am who I am through my phone. I also have to tell them if I change my email address. So it's like Big Brother watching you all the time. You know, Before, I never had to tell the Home Office my email address or whether I change my email address or my phone number. And there is never going to be 100% certainty about our, our residency, whether we have a settled status or not. I don't think it's going to, to make things better. And also now, with this freedom of movement going to stop, on the 1st of November, it's going to be very difficult for border staff to decide whether you're an EU citizen with settled status or you're an EU citizen who has still the right to be 
here until December 2020, which is still the date according to the Home Office where sti you still have time to apply for settled status. There's no physical evidence of your settled status. It's all online. So at the moment, whether you leave the country for going on holiday and when you come back after the 31st of October, according to the Home Office, you're okay, even if you haven't applied for EU settled status, because you still have until the end of December next year to do that. However, how will they know whether you're a new incomer or whether you already lived here or even whether you've got the settled status? I mean, I've got it on my phone now. I've got The letter is not proof, but there's a link, and on the link you can check your status. I've got a copy of all that on my phone, but I'm not going to go abroad with my council tax bill. Well, that would be the best proof. That's one of the proofs. Uh, but I'm not going abroad with all my bills in my handbag, you know. No, it's our problem. But I'm afraid it's everybody's problem because it's a human rights issue. A lot of people are frightened because by registering, you're also giving up your rights to all your private information. A lot of people are really, really scared about that. And I totally understand. Personally, I have nothing to hide. My all my tax affairs are completely clear, but there's a lot of people who've been working part-time and they have no proof, actually, that they have had an income. And it's very difficult. And also people don't have a good command of English. I don't know how people would cope with that. Mm -hmm. Now, in Scotland, the, uh, the Scottish government has given a lot of money to, um, to Citizen Advice Scotland to help people. So there is some help. And there's also groups that are helping communities like the um, Polish communities and the, the Roma community. But it's a very anxiety-ridden kind of process, even for me, even though I'm quite well on with, with the technology and you know, I can speak English, but at the same time, it's still very much an anxiety. There is also going to be some funding from the Scottish uh, government to a project called EU Citizens' Rights Project based in Edinburgh. And they're in partnership with the Three Million. They're going to set a ch the charity called Settled. So they're organizing sessions with a human rights lawyer from the um, human rights group called Just Right Scotland. And they are very, very good. So uh, is there anything, Mireille, that we as Women for Indy can do that will help for any of the EU citizens in Clackmannanshire? There are things. What people can do is to identify those who come from a different communities from yours, Polish communities, Roma community, and ask them, do they know about the settled status? Do they know that they have to apply? Do they know who to contact if they don't know? So even if you don't know, you don't have to have all the answers, but you could identify those whom you know are going to be vulnerable to, to that kind of thing because their English is not very good, for example. So I think this is what people could do to be concerned. Ray, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Personally, I'm just mortified that you and all the other new Scots are having to go through this for something that Scotland did not vote for. Just say this is the band warming up for the march. Looks like there's a fantastic turnout. Good on you, Aberdeen. <laughs> We're having a stone painting session today and our discussion has been turning towards Brexit, possibly in two months' time, a no-deal Brexit, and a straw poll round the table. Half of us are stockpiling, half of us aren't. So we thought we'd have a little discussion about what we're choosing to stockpile, and it'll be interesting to know what anybody else is doing. So, Lynn, what are you stockpiling? Basically, we've been stockpiling anything that has got a, a long life. Tins, tins of meat, tins of 
fruit, even tins of vegetables. There's some vegetables we might not get fresh after Brexit. Um, coffee, olive oil, things that can be frozen. So we have a supply of them afterwards, like butter and cheese. Now I know we can get butter and cheese locally, but there's lots of butter and cheese comes from abroad as well. So basic essentials to keep us going so that we've, we've got um, plenty in our cupboards to feed the family should the worst come to the worst. And other things as well, just like shampoo, washing powder, dishwasher, salt and stuff like that as well. Anything that, that, that can be stored, it's not gonna go off. I've been stockpiling olive oil, coffee and cat food, uh, but I hadn't thought about shampoo or washing up liquid. We did look into toilet paper, some of which is advertised as being manufactured in the UK, but that doesn't necessarily mean all the materials are sourced in the UK. Um, the Confederation of Paper Industries has reportedly said that the UK is Europe's biggest importer of toilet paper. 1.3 million tonnes is used in the UK per year, with about 1.1 million being imported. So I'll be adding that to my stockpile list too. Um, just for a bit of balance, though, the MyGovScot website has some official guidance, which states, We do not expect any overall shortages of food. There may be less choice for a while, however. Fresh foods with short life, like fruit and vegetables, will be affected most. And I guess the other thing looking at as well is both my husband and I have blood pressure medication. So that's a real concern for us as well, that you want to have enough there. It's one of the ones that has been mentioned as possibly going to be in, in short supply. Is it on prescription? It's on, pre it's, on pres it's on prescription. No, we can't buy it, so it's on prescription. Uh, so the you're limited as to how much you can actually stockpile. And again, that does have a, a lifespan on it. And I do have other friends who are really concerned who are diabetic about accessing their insulin. Going slightly off track of what I'm stockpiling food-wise, no. I remember the last time where we had serious snow and bread and milk ran out. So I've been and brought some strong bread flour so I can make my own bread for the family should we need to, if there's, if there's short supply of of bread because a lot of that was to do with the trucks not being able to get through to do the deliveries so yes that's us anything and everything <laughs> and it's horrifying that we're doing this in peacetime because of something that Westminster has chosen to do it's no this is not something we voted for and we've been put in this position of genuinely being concerned about being able to feed our families it's ridiculous yeah, totally agree. And what's interesting, as you said this morning, we spoke about, so who's stockpiling? Or somebody had asked me the other day, was I a prepper? And I said, oh, definitely a prepper. And when you tell people about it, half the people look at you like you've got horns going out the end, and the other half are sort of nodding at you going, yes, I'm doing the same. And other people said, oh, well, we know where to come then if we run out of food. <laughs> but, but it is, the more I've spoken with people about it, the more I'm finding actually lots of people are being organised. I'm sure in Switzerland people are advised to have like a fortnight's worth of supplies in their houses. That's obviously due to weather conditions and not being able to get out but the same thing could apply for us. You know, come Brexit, trucks are not getting through. Even if they do get through the food that's in them, is that going to have survived the journey? You you just don't know it and that's what's really awful. It's the case, the case of we don't know so we're planning for something that we're hoping doesn't come to fruition but if it does we're going to be ready and everything that we've got i had actually done it for the march 
Brexit date. We were all set up for then. So what we did was we started working our way through that and then building back up again so that we've got there. And plus side of it as well is occasionally when you don't have anything in your main cupboards, the kids go, oh, oh check the Brexit supplies and find you know, something in there that we're not, it is quite handy. Longer term as well, it, one of the things that my community has been quite exercised about is farmland, productive farmland being sold off for housing development. Now we know people need houses, we don't have a problem with that, but given what's coming our way and the uncertainty, the idea of doing anything to reduce the kind of food production in this country is just questionable, surely. And yet there doesn't seem to have been any change to the planning laws or, or anything on that basis. I think it's getting a, a balance right of where you, where you can grow your own, grow your own and, and use your own. It's also environmentally friendly thing to do. You're yeah. not having to have food transported to the supermarket. You can like grow your own. So... I'm lucky enough to have a garden that we could, if we decided to turn it all into veggie plots, then we could do. We've just got a few wee herbs and an apple tree and some strawberries. But that, I mean, one apple tree produces way more apples than I can ever use. So I end up giving them to friends and neighbours to use up as well. So we know we can do it. And as I say, from the environmental point of view, I, I like that as well. Thank you, Lynn. Well, let's hope our stockpiles never have to be dipped into and we can just have olive oil and <laughs> croissants <laughs> on the 1st of November because it's all gone away. Exactly. <laughs> that would be super. <laughs> podcast seems to have gone down quite well for those who've, who've heard it we've had some great feedback so thank you very much everybody um, so this week we thought we'd talk a little bit more about women's responsibility to take part in building a new country that we hope we're going to have post-independence so Marion you've been involved in something called the parliament project so tell us a bit more about that yes indeed not got very far down the line with the Parliament project yet. It's still underway, the beginnings of it. But the thrust of it is that we are trying to encourage more women and non-binary people as well into political life. We've got a country to be built and the Parliament at the moment doesn't have anywhere near enough women representing our societies and our communities there. So the Parliament project has been set up with backing from the Scottish Government to try to encourage people to come forward. And so far, there's going to be a, a big meeting at Holyrood at the beginning of September. 400 women, I think, are going to be there. There's going to be workshops that you sign up to, and it's in order to give you the confidence and the knowledge to be able to think of yourself as politically active. It may be like for a lot of other people and myself that... You'd just like to learn about the process and put your foot in the water a little bit and see what it feels like. I know within my own party, we've been very supportive of, of women doing that. Other parties, I'm sure, are exactly the same. So the representation of women is really important. When I started to think about what role I might want to play in politics and the building of our new country, it was quite a difficult decision because there were so many different ways to express myself I was a bit I was a bit confused about which route to go down so there was a whole f a whole kind of range of, of different organizations and people that 
that were all vying for your attention out there. So it was a bit messy for me. And I decided that you only have so many hours in the day that you can give to it. You've got family life to take care of. We've got a small business to run. And it was a case of choosing which felt the most convenient and uncomfortable. So that's when it became obvious that Women for Independence was going to stay the pace. It was local. And I met loads of friends. That's one of the things that you don't think about, but they're a really lovely byproduct of getting involved in something completely new. You meet new people, new neighbours, new friends. And they're all like-minded. And Women for Independence is non-party political, which I think is very refreshing. Everybody's welcome on this journey. And we're all in this together. And it's about what part you feel you could play. Women for Independence was absolutely crucial for me in giving me a, a safe space to be able to formulate my opinions about things. Without Women for Independence, I wouldn't be thinking of what I'm going to do now, which is I'm hoping to stand in the 2021 Holyrood elections. That wouldn't be happening without my friends and the support of Women for Independence. So our final section of the podcast, we've got a little look at what's coming up and things that you might like to get involved with. Plenty to choose from the 30th of August at the Albert Halls in Stirling. John Drummond is presenting his talk on constitutions. Everything you ever wanted to know about constitutions, but were afraid to ask. Tickets are available on Eventbrite for that one. And then on the 31st, there is a Forders 1 march in Dunfermline starting at 12 o'clock. A short march and then an afternoon of stalls. And on the 2nd of September will be the next monthly meeting of Clax Women for Indy. And that's at the Snug Number 5 Inn, which is Brook Street in Alva, from 7.15 till about 9, 9.30. On the 6th of September, there is a flag flying event at Stirling Brig starting at 6.30pm. Not sure who's organising that one or what form it takes, but that could be a quite a visual spectacle, I think. Might be nice to get involved with that one. And the 7th of September is the penultimate All Under One Banner March for this year. So that's in Perth. And on the 8th, there is the Stirling Bridge Commemoration at 2pm. And on the 14th in Alloa, yes, Clackmannanshire are hosting a family fun day at the Bomar Centre. There's going to be a short family procession from, I think, the station to the Bomar Centre. But we'll bring you more details of that as we get closer to it. Uh, Women for Indie Clacks are going to have a stall at that. We'll be doing indie stone painting sessions for the kids and also um, chatting to anyone who wants to come and say hello to us. So we really hope that we can uh, see some of you there. Maybe we'll even do some live interviews for the podcast. So if you want to come and make your views known, you'd be very welcome. Okay, that's all we have for you this time. Thank you to all my Clax Women for Indy sisters for contributing to the podcast. Hopefully we're starting to get to grips with this new medium. It's certainly fun learning. And just to play you out, I've got a little snippet that I recorded on my phone from the Aberdeen March last Saturday. And we were standing very close to the Sar Alba pipes and drums just as the march started. And I don't know about everybody else, but I get goosebumps when I listen to this clip. So hope you enjoy just the, the excitement as it starts. And of course, if, if you haven't been to a march and you want to experience that for yourself, do come along to Perth. Once you've been on a march, you'll never forget the experience. Okay, catch you next time. Bye.